Welcome to the podcast for Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2017. May God use this as a blessing to you tonight. One quick note, due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio clips of the videos that we showed in the service. Now let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's a good thing that we sang all those Christmas carols earlier tonight, songs of mangers and magi, shepherds and angels, because the scripture reading that Jody read for us tonight had none of that in it whatsoever. Instead, we get the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not your traditional reading on Christmas Eve, that's for sure. For the past four weeks, we've been looking at Hollywood Christmas films and trying to see if we can find any elements of the true Christmas story within them. Tonight, we look at a movie that was a blockbuster a little over a decade ago. It's The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's based on a series of books by author C.S. Lewis, who wrote them uh, in the early 1950s. The film takes place during World War II England, where many mothers in London have chosen to send their children away from the city in efforts to shield them from the German aerial attack. And most of the fathers at this time were already off fighting in the war. Such is the case of the Pevensey children, Susan, Lucy, Peter, and Edmund. Their destination is the small countryside town of Coombe to live in a home owned by a man known only as the Professor. Well, their first full day at their new home is beset with rain, and so the kids pass the time away by playing hide-and-seek. The youngest child, Lucy, stumbles upon a room that has a large wardrobe in it, and she climbs in the wardrobe to hide, but surprisingly discovers beyond the jackets pine trees and snow and a whole new land that she never knew existed. Let's watch as she wanders out uh, to an out-of-place light post, and her adventures in Narnia begin. Well, while drinking tea with Mr. Tumnus, Lucy learns that Narnia hasn't had Christmas in a hundred years. Always winter, he says, never Christmas. Talk about one of the more tragic things you've ever heard. Well, unbeknownst to Lucy, the white witch has pressured all the forest creatures to kidnap any humans that were found wandering among them. But Mr. Tumnus can't bear to kidnap Lucy, and so she takes her back to the lamppost, though he's worried about the witch's reprisal. When Lucy makes it back to the other side of the wardrobe, no one believes her when she tries to explain what happened to her. So later that night, Lucy endeavors to head back into the wardrobe. But her middle brother, Edmund, is following at a distance, thinking that he's going to scare her while she's hiding in the wardrobe. Imagine his shock when he tumbles out into the snow-covered landscape of Narnia. Alone in a strange land, that's when Edmund meets the White Witch, though she refers to herself as the Queen of Narnia. Let's watch their fateful encounter. As soon as the witch leaves, Lucy finds him and the two head back through the wardrobe. But when Lucy proceeds to tell Peter and Susan that Edmund went with her into Narnia, Edmund flatly denies it. Now, let's pause here for a moment and look at our scripture reading for tonight. The meeting with the white witch and Edmund's propensity to lie brings us to the subject of evil, sin, and darkness. It's part of our human condition, unfortunately, part of life. Somehow, someway, evil and sin abound, both inside of us and outside of us. That's where God comes into play to help deliver us 
from sin and evil. Contemporary writer Frederick Buechner says, It's no easy matter to save us when half the time we don't even want to be saved because we're quiet at home in the darkness. Unfortunately, that's so often true, isn't it? Nevertheless, God does endeavor to save us, to raise up within us truth and righteousness instead of deceit and sinfulness. So if we're honest, we're probably a lot more like Edmund than we care to admit. Well, the next day, the four children are playing around the house. They find themselves in the room with the wardrobe. And of course, all four are transported back to Narnia, where Peter and Susan quickly apologize for not believing their little sister Lucy. And they realize that Edmund has been, well, shall we say, less than truthful to them. Lucy wants to introduce them to Mr. Tumnus, but discovers that his house has been ransacked by the White Witch because he had dared to befriend a human. That's when they meet Mr. Beaver, who invites them back to his house, which is where they find out a little bit more about what's happening around them, the epic story that suddenly they are a part of. Let's watch. Well, it's about this time that they notice that Edmund is nowhere to be found. He's snuck off and gone back to the White Witch's castle, which is very, very dangerous, say the beavers, because they believe that the White Witch is trying to lure all four of the Pevensies to her so she can kill them and prevent the prophecy from happening. Only Aslan can save your brother now, says Mr. Beaver. Inside the witch's castle, Edmund begins to discover, you know, she's not quite as nice as she appeared to be when I first met her the other day. She's angry that he hasn't brought his brother and sisters along, and so the witch sends her attack wolves out to the beaver's house to hunt them down. They barely survive by getting out of the den just in time, and they meet a fox who tells them that Aslan has sent him to rally the troops for battle. Well, back at the castle, Edmund, now chained, meets Mr. Tumnus. The witch was going to kill them both, but Edmund mentions the name of Aslan, and the witch is stopped dead in her tracks. Such is the power of his goodness. Mr. Tumnus, however, is turned to stone, and the witch grabs Edmund and goes racing after the three kids in their sleigh. They, though, are on their way moving to meet Aslan at the stone table just across the frozen river. Now, let's jump back to our scripture reading today from John 1 for a few moments. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament, the fourth story of Jesus' life and ministry. However, it's very different from the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't start with angels announcing uh, the impending birth. No, he starts further back, at the very beginning of everything. We're told that everything came into being through him, the word. And this word was light, a light that pierced the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. When C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he was very clear as to who was the light and who was the darkness. The white witch is evil incarnate, the queen of darkness. Aslan, on the other hand, the God figure is light, goodness, and righteousness. And the two are on a collision course in our movie. Back in Narnia, the three kids and the beavers realize that the evil witch is on her way to capture them, and so they attempt to outrun her. They barely make it into the forest. They find this small cave to hide inside while they wait for the witch's sleigh to pass overhead. But the sleigh stops directly above them, and that's when they discover it's not the white witch at all who's tracked them down. Nope, it's another sleigh owner. Let's watch. 
Ah, yes, Father Christmas. See, this is a Christmas movie after all. Peter, Susan, Lucy, and the Beavers continue on their trek to find Aslan and his army. But as Father Christmas said, winter is starting to thaw, and the ice is starting to melt. And the White Witch's wolves catch up to them once and again, and they barely escape. And now more signs of spring are propping up all over Narnia. And for the first time in a hundred years, greenery appears again as the Pevensies leave behind their winter jackets once and for all. The White Witch and her entourage arrive at the river a bit late and the kids are safe, but the scouts find Mr. Fox and they bring him to their queen. Let's watch their interrogation. Well, Peter, Susan, and Lucy enter the camp of Aslan and, and his army. They know whose side they're on and they get to meet the great lion face to face. Later, Peter and Aslan talk about deep magic of Narnia. That deep magic is what defines right and wrong. It's what governs all destinies. And Aslan prepares Peter for what's about to take place. Meanwhile, Susan and Lucy are down by the stream. They're accosted by the witch's wolves who finally track them down. Lucy uses her horn to summon help, and Peter comes rushing in to save the day. A few of Aslan's soldiers find one of the wolves Uh, or follow one of the wolves back to the witch's hideout, and they make a daring rescue of Edmund, who comes back to speak one-on-one with Aslan. Aslan tells his brothers and sisters that they are not to speak to Edmund about what is past. What is done is done. And the four Pevensies commit their support to Aslan in whatever he needs as they all prepare for the battle that's about to take place. In our Bible reading for tonight, John mentions that not everyone receives this word that has been there from the beginning. Verses 10 through 12. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Not everyone welcomes the one who has been sent among us. But for those who do... They become children of God, John tells us. Part of that is what God does in us, and part is what we do on our own. Frederick Buechner puts it this way. When we decide we want to start being children of God, we are in all likelihood going to have to stop being, stop doing, stop having, stop pretending, stop smacking our lips over, stop hating, stop being scared of, stop chasing after until we're blue in the face and sick of the stomach. That's what Edmund learned in Narnia. He had things in his character that desperately needed to be changed. And Aslan was waiting for him, ready to forgive, ready to make things right, ready to start anew. With God and Aslan, grace abounds. It's a wonderful gift for each of us. And on this Christmas Eve, I ask us all, myself included, what do we need God to change in us tonight? Well, just because they're surrounded by God's grace, it doesn't mean there still won't be conflict. The white witch rides into Aslan's camp, demands a meeting, and this is what happened. Well, she renounced her claim on Edmund because Aslan offered to go in his place. And that night, Aslan slips off into the forest. Lucy awakens, takes her sister with her, Susan, to follow him. And it's there that Aslan says he has to go and do this alone. And then proceeds to walk straight into the White Witch's camp amidst taunts and jeers where he is beaten, bound, sheared, and laid before the White Witch on the great stone table. She says, I am so disappointed in you. You are giving me your life and saving no one. So much for love. And then it was over. 
in what can only be seen as a biblical parallel, it's the women who come to weep over their master's lifeless body. Lucy and Susan stayed for a while, and as just they're getting ready to leave, this takes place. Well, Peter now knows that he is the leader of the army, and the white witch and her fighting horde come after them, and though they're vastly outnumbered, they fight valiantly and more than hold their own. Aslan, Lucy, and Susan make it to the witch's castle. They discover Mr. Tumnus, who, along with many others, have been petrified by the witch. But as Aslan breathes his breath onto Mr. Tumnus, his petrification is dissolved, and he returns to the land of the living. Aslan does the same to the rest of the statues, getting more soldiers ready to return to the battle. Back at the battle site, it appears the witch and her cohorts are finally gaining the upper hand until Edmund challenges her and smashes her freezing staff, though she mortally wounds him in the process. Peter, horrified that his brother has fallen, engages the witch in a fight to the death. And of course, he's overmatched against such evil incarnate. But Aslan arrives just at the right moment to put an end to the witch once and for all. Lucy uses the reviving potion given to her by Father Christmas to not only bring back her big brother, but all the rest who had been wounded in battle. And the next stop is the coronation of the four new monarchs at Caer Paravel. King Peter, King Edmund, Queen Susan, and Queen Lucy. And after the ceremony, Aslan leaves Narnia, at least for the time being. Years passed, and the four grown Pevensies are out hunting when they stumble upon a familiar-looking lamppost. They follow Lucy as she leads them back through the woods and the pine trees and the coats and back through the wardrobe into the professor's house, back to the age they were when it all began. The adventure is over for now. Friends, this is truly a wonderful story, very well written and uh, superbly adapted to the big screen. But to me, it's also an allegory of what John 1.14 is all about. This is how the Message Bible translates this verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's Aslan in Narnia. That's Jesus come to earth as a baby. A baby born to poor parents in nondescript stable in Bethlehem, moving into our neighborhood, into a body of flesh and blood like you and me. But it also means that God was taking a risk. Gail R. O'Day writes that to become flesh is to know joy, pain, suffering, and loss. It is to love, to grieve, and to someday die. That's what Jesus went through for us, friends. And so as we celebrate this gift of Christmas tonight, know that it's, it's not just a baby in a manger that we've come to worship and adore. Now, we've come to give our hearts and souls to the one who came that we might have life in all its abundance, an abundance which comes to us as a gift from the one who is willing to give all that he had, including his very life, so that we might be able to endure all of the struggles and strains that come with being human. For God so loved the world that he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Merry Christmas to one and all, and may we become a little more like children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High King that God created us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.